Hello, this is Tom Hessian from Riverbend Capital Advisors. For today's discussion of Muni Credit, I'm joined by esteemed Muni analyst, John Hallisey, John Hallisey Consulting. Welcome, John. Oh, thanks, Tom. So, John, to get started, I, I just wanted to share a quick thought. Um, not sure how you feel about this, but I'm often surprised by the way the media treats the municipal market as a homogeneous entity, when in fact it's comprised of a wide range of sectors, everything from tax-backed general obligations, water and sewer utilities, healthcare, higher education, transportation, and also a wide array of uh, project-specific financings which many show up in the high yield community market. But, and then within every sector, there are thousands of issuers, varying degrees of credit quality. I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's not a market that lends itself well to overgeneralization. That being said, many sectors are facing revenue losses of varying degrees in light of COVID related shutdowns and changes in behavior patterns. Uh, maybe you could walk us through how some of these muni sectors are faring in the current environment. You know, let's let's just start with staying local. You know, the revenue loss has uh, been in the media as being uncertain and not certain about duration either. And I think the macro uh, effect clearly came on strong and, and very deep in the beginning, you know, March, April. And then may we start to recover a little bit um, as employment picked up and what have you. But uh, sales taxes seem to be bouncing back pretty nicely. House sales, of course, home sales are very strong and will add to assessed values. The income tax take is still being affected by high unemployment, but is also being affected by outsized capital gains. Of course, uh, a lot of those gains don't get realized till the end of the year, even though people take them throughout the year. But a lot of times the, the settling up doesn't take place till uh, April 15. And corporate income taxes are notoriously unpredictable because of, uh, you know, credits and loss carry forwards and, you know, all kinds of other considerations, even though, you know, when they're rather profitable, one would think that, uh, you know, the corporate income tax take is going to be higher. And of course, we've all been reading about the transportation credits and how they've been so affected, bridges, tunnels, highways, et cetera, that, that uh, either charge uh, uh, tolls or what have you for the crossings and, and uh being able to use the road, uh, that revenue clearly has been affected by the lack of commuting. The commercial traffic is held up a little better than the, uh, you know, either the leisure or commuter traffic. Uh, and if you just go sector by sector, there are all kinds of specific uh, considerations there. I don't know that we want to go through every sector, but if there are others in particular, Tom, that you wanted to talk about, we can. Uh, maybe just touch on airports a bit. That's one that's been... Well, airports are uh, particularly challenged in this environment because uh, first the drop-off was 
about 90% in the traffic. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, uh, allegedly, it's around 75% uh, decline. And, uh, you know, we take some of our cues from the airlines and what they're doing. Of course, they had a lot of support from the CARES Act, and now that's running its course. And uh, United and others are now announcing that they're going to have layoffs come October when the provisions of the CARES Act kind of run their course. And uh, so we're going to see some pretty big layoffs of uh, flight attendants, pilots, and uh, the airside uh, personnel. And that's going to have a big effect. Airports generally are supported by an array of uh, revenues uh, that include landing fees, concession revenues in the terminal, parking fees, and and many other items that get into the mix. And of course, all of those are being affected just by the greatly reduced traffic. Now, the good aspect is that going into this, airport's had a lot of cash on hand, days of cash on hand, and um, are, are better equipped from that perspective to you know, withstand a a certain period of stress. But this too will run its course eventually, but I don't think we're quite there yet. You know, airports have been affected, although I have to say we haven't seen a lot of downgrades or rating adjustments there uh, to date. Well, um, doing my part, I'm getting my first flight tomorrow in six months. I'll let you know how that turns out. Yeah, we want a full Uh, report. (laughs) So, um, I've seen it recent estimates of states who are expected to lose 555 billion in revenue out to um, in, you know mid 2022 and uh, state and local losses of about 360 billion in revenue. Um, what's your thought there? Does that sound accurate and how are they going to make adjustments? Well, these are organizations that are closest to their members. The Center for Budget and Policy Priorities put out the state estimated loss at $550 billion, and the National League of Cities put out the $360 billion figure. I don't know that that has been updated since they were initially put out. Again, sales tax are faring a little better than anticipated. And property taxes are among the most stable, even though obviously to the extent people are staying away from the office, it's only a matter of time perhaps before some of that gets revisited. Most office space is in a long-term lease situation and it can't easily be broken. And um, they might be able to sublet the space, but not necessarily break the lease. So I don't anticipate that there'll be a, a, a sharp uh, problem here, but maybe a year or so out, that, that could be more of a concern. And uh, we tend to talk about the revenue side a lot, but we don't talk about the expenditure side as much. Certainly, we talk about them at different times, but clearly cuts, budget cuts and layoffs are, are coming as well as freezes to address you know, part of the problem. So we got to factor in the spending side as well. And I know that most economists are worried about just how extensive the the state and local layoffs will be. It's about 13% of the economy. 
and uh, they employ lots of people in the state and local segment. There have been some adjustments there, but uh, I don't think we've seen the worst of it yet. Yeah, I think the state and local sector you know, ended up being a drag on the recovery after the financial crisis. So hopefully uh, you know, we'll be able to move through it this time around in a more efficient manner. Let's talk about federal support. Um, you know, federal aid still anticipated, seems like it's going to be more difficult to reach an agreement in Congress as we get closer to the election. What do you anticipate there? Do you think we're going to end up with with a state and local aid package? Well, this is continuously in a state of flux, as we know. And um, I know within the last couple of days, Mnuchin reached out again to have talks with Nancy Pelosi and uh you know, so far they're still fairly apart. And then Mitch McConnell made some some comments today that uh, he wasn't quite sure that something could really get done before the election. So uh, the prospects are looking a little dimmer. I think clearly the Republican side would like to put something together that's somewhat more modest than a trillion and you know, the Democratic side has said, well, we're willing to come down to 2.2 trillion, but, you know, we're not going to move from that uh, perspective. So I think bottom line is people are going to get busy with running for re-election and <laughs> are going to have to, you know, cut loose on, on uh, talking about another package. And unfortunately, the, the state and local part of the package seems to keep getting lost in the mix. Uh, Mnuchin was alluding to maybe something more could be done there, but nothing nothing concrete has really come to the fore. So I might even be less optimistic than I was before for something before the election. On a, another note, uh, there was a, a recent media report that noted that a small town in Alabama had declared bankruptcy in May apparently the first city in the United States to do so since Detroit back in 2013. You know, a rise in defaults was also, immunity defaults was also referenced, but, you know, referring to uh, specifically small issuers of retirement home bonds, which generally would fall into the high yield category and, you know, most likely not rated. But do you... uh, anticipate a surge in defaults? Well, I've been through many cycles in this market. And um, the first thing I will say is that generally the municipal default rate is is pretty modest compared with other markets. Uh, The MSRB reported that in 2019, the muni default rate was 0.18% versus 1.74% for corporates. I would expect a rise from that. You know, the muni default rate could get as high perhaps as half of 1% or so. But I don't think it goes much further than that. Uh, I think what happens in municipals is that most issuers try to find a way to address the problem before they go to the last step of filing for bankruptcy. Uh, Defaulting, of course, is not the same as bankruptcy, but I think also that uh, they they take as many steps as they can to avoid it. 
I think unfortunately this time around, we don't have the ability to do advanced refunding. And, uh, you know, clearly with rates where they are being so low, if we still had advanced refunding, there would be a lot of deals in the money to uh, pursue that. So we don't, we don't have one of the tools we used to have. We still have current refundings, but you have to wait, you know, for the uh, redemption date on those. I would say there's certainly going to be a little bit of an uptick, but does it get to 1% of, of, uh, on the muni side? I don't think so. As bad as it might get, I don't think it gets there. And remember that states have a lot of sovereign powers and can raise taxes and adjust their budgets and do all kinds of things. Certainly everybody can tap the bond market right now. And uh, you also have the Fed uh, Municipal Liquidity Facility that uh, MTA in Illinois have tapped. And now there's some discussion that New Jersey might consider doing doing a transaction with them alone. I don't see, see it spinning way out of control, but to the extent the states can support their localities and to the extent eventually the feds come in with more aid, that, that will certainly be welcome. I've seen reports also of, you know, of uh, infrastructure and other um, you know, state and local uh, projects being delayed or suspended. Uh, do you expect to see a lot more of that? Well, this is an interesting question. It really goes to uh, cash flow and where are you deriving the cash from? Are you drawing down proceeds of a bond issue or are you taking it out of operations? If, if a project hasn't begun and hasn't been financed yet, I think it's more likely that something like that could be delayed and deferred. Mm -hmm. uh, however, if you've already sold your bonds and you're already out there with, you know, contractors actually doing some work on the project, it's a much harder proposition to, to just put a halt to it because in the end that can cost you a lot more money to, to go ahead and complete the project. And if anything, right now, some of these critical infrastructure projects are easier to get done when, uh, you know, the traffic, so to speak, is a lot lighter than it would have been otherwise. And the other aspect is that the rates are low. But, but net net, it's always a cash flow consideration. So uh, I think there'll certainly be some delays, suspensions, deferments, what have you, but maybe not as many as one would think. Jumping around a little bit here, uh, I've seen a, also a story about uh, trash piling up on the streets of certain cities. Uh, I think Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., maybe one or two others seem to, uh, the report seemed to allude to this being a uh, an issue of municipal credit. Are you aware of this? Well, I've, I've heard these allegations, but, you know, it has to do with just the change in the patterns. You know, commercial carters obviously pick up trash from, from office complexes. And of course, most municipalities pick up residential trash. And it varies from city to city and place to place how it's done. 
But I think a lot of it has to do with manpower and how many people have been out for sick time due to COVID-19 and, and other matters. Uh, the other aspect is if uh, the volumes are so much greater, uh, does the city have any ability to pay overtime? And clearly that's a budget consideration. So I think a lot of those considerations have more to do with those aspects than any other. So New York State, I think Governor Cuomo indicated to local governments that they should expect a cut of about 20% in state aid unless there is a you know federal support forthcoming. Uh, do you anticipate similar cuts uh, uh, across other states around the country, or you think this is an isolated situation? Well, there are two aspects of this, Tom. One is sort of withholding or slow paying what is owed localities, and the other one is an outright cut. Um, I think New York was talking about more slow paying, in part to, you know, conserve cash, but also in part to get the localities to think harder about, you know, where they can economize and, and where they can make adjustments. But, you know, anytime you're in this kind of environment, you certainly do eventually see uh, uh, state aid uh, cuts, if, if not uh, uh, immediately. So, yeah, I would say that some of that will be taking place. And then you know, the localities, of course, will, will grouse that, uh, you know, they were anticipating a certain level and it, it's a real hardship to uh, not be receiving that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that plays out, but I expect some angst there. Let's talk for a second about downgrade risk and, you know, kind of specifically about the risk in uh, GOs versus revenue bonds. You know, as I, I've also read a bit in the media lately about how geos are would be you know considered riskier for various reasons than revenue bonds maybe you talk about the differences and whether you believe that to be the case well you know downgrade risk is a much more realistic scenario than worrying about default or bankruptcy so that's uh, that's the first comment i would make mm-hmm. uh, because it's a lot easier to adjust a rating than to uh, have a scenario with with the other aspects. In terms of GO, you know, some allege that it's a greater risk because, you know, politicians can't put their heads together and, and make adjustments. And I'm not sure that that is really a fair assessment. You know, GOs, it takes a little harder work to adjust their budgets on the revenue side, also on the expenditure side. But when you think about it, the budget's really only adjusted or, or set once a year. And unless you're in places like New York City that sort of do quarterly modifications, if you will, a lot of places don't have that capability. But in some states, they're also not allowed to run deficits. I think what we're going to see is, you know, if the governmental entity under consideration is really falling behind, we're going to see a lot of mid-year adjustments this go around, and that would be targeting the uh, sort of January timeframe for most issuers. So I think there's certainly a challenge there. I mean, obviously, you don't get a 
to adjust debt service, really, unless you're doing some financial engineering and you don't give adjust pensions. So you have to look at the rest of the budget. And in terms of revenue bonds, probably should have started with that because that's a little easier. You have a clearly identified revenue stream. And in most uh, revenue bonds, there is a covenant to have excess coverage above what's required to pay debt service. So if let's just say the revenue bond calls for 125 times debt service coverage. So you have quite a buffer there to, to, to fall uh, before you start to have problems paying debt service. So I think in some respects, at least that, that aspect's a little more straightforward in a revenue bond. And of course, with revenue bonds, you have reserve funds not in each and every revenue bond sector or scenario, but uh, you often have them. And that also gives you a little buffer time-wise. But in this pandemic, uh, you know, the revenue streams have been just as affected, if not more affected than the uh, general taxing power that, that's the provenance of the uh, GO. Let's talk about pensions a little bit more. You know, we hear a lot about uh, underfunding, to varying degrees, you know, many state and local government pensions are not adequately funded. How front and center is this issue or how alarming and how is it being addressed? Well, I mean, starting out, pensions always a long-term consideration. But if you're only 40% funded or 60 or 70% funded, you know you have to do a lot to bring down that unfunded accrued liability. And you pretty much have to make an annual contribution along with the normal contribution. And what happens at times like this with a budget so stressed, a lot of times the thrust is to go in the other direction to not fund pensions as much to preserve cash to take care of other critical needs and then to catch up with the pension funding in the out years, which of course just aggravates the problem. So we're Definitely watching out for those tendencies. Now, on the more positive note, um, you know, we've had a, quite a run up in the equity market. So a lot of the funds should be doing a lot better at this point in time. We're not going to know really till they actually have to report. And of course, one or two quarters or even a year doesn't put a huge dent in some of these funding ratios, but nevertheless, it helps. John, um, always appreciate your perspective, especially in these challenging times. Thank you for being here today. Well, thanks, Tom. And I don't know if you had any comments on the current market that you'd like to add. I mean, we really had quite a rally for a while, and then we backed up a little bit. Just uh, wondered what your current views are a little bit. Well, yeah, you're right. And over the last couple of weeks, yields have finally drifted a bit higher. You know, that we've passed the mid-year rollover period, uh, as you know, you know, June 1, July and August 1 are, are big rollover dates. So a lot of bonds mature, a lot of coupon payments, a lot of calls. So the proceeds from those tend to get reinvested in the market and um, support performance you know, through, through the summer. We've, we've now passed that and this looks to be a decent amount of new issue supply uh, on the calendar as we head into the 
September and into the fourth quarter. So obviously, you know, depends to some degree on the on the direction of rates in general and and the treasury market. But um, I'm hoping that there are some opportunities uh, in the in the coming weeks to um, you know maybe see yields a little bit higher and uh, take advantage of that. But the market's well, functioning fine, and there still seems to be a good bit of demand for new issues and uh, and in the secondary market. Well, we know that the Fed is there supporting everything, and they're they're basically saying they're going to be uh, fairly hands off, keep a light touch on what's going on, unless you know they see inflation really spin out of control and nobody anticipates that right now so that's kind of a good underpinning from the market as well well thanks thanks, tom and uh as always if you have any questions or would like to follow up please give us a call uh riverbend capital thanks again thank you